Good morning. No, you're supposed to all say, good morning, Mr. Fuquay. Here's your apple. No. <laughs> Just kidding. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. I am glad that you have joined us for worship today. If you will find in your Bible, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to continue our series through the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be picking it up in verse 13, which is where we left off last week. And while you're finding that, um, let me just tell you a little story. Recently, one of my kids asked me, uh, why are some people born into a family, a Christian family, that would tell them about Jesus and other people aren't? Why was I born into a Christian family and some other people aren't? And I thought, boy, that's a deep question. <laughs> How do you answer that one? Um, why me? Why did God choose me? Why did God call me? Why has God saved me? What's the point? What's the purpose of that? Uh, David, King David in the Old Testament asked a really similar question in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David had uh, defeated all of Israel's enemies. He had conquered and, and brought them into the promised land. And he was in Jerusalem and he had built himself a palace. And he was looking out the window of his palace and he saw the temple of God that was still the tabernacle, a tent. And he said, how can I live in a house when God lives in a tent? I want to build a house for the Lord, a temple. And then uh, God sent a prophet to him to say, no, 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 uh, good thought, but you're not going to build my temple. Your son is. And by the way, you're not going to build my house. I'm going to build your house. I'm going to establish your throne. Your descendants will be on the throne. And one of your descendants, who we know is Jesus, one of your descendants will be the everlasting king. His government will never end. His kingdom will be forever. His throne will be forever. And this is going to be your legacy, David. I'm going to build your house for all of eternity. And then David says in Second uh, Samuel verse seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 18, King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I? O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Right? Wow. Why would you choose me? That's a good question. That's the question I want us to wrestle with this morning. Why did God choose you? Why, why did God call you out of darkness into his marvelous light? Why are you here? Why did somebody share the gospel with you and now you're here worshiping God and living for him? Why? What's the purpose behind that? That's what we're going to get into a little bit today in uh, this little paragraph from the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus was uh, teaching this, and he said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Why did God choose you? Why did God choose me? Why are you here? Why have we been called out of darkness into his marvelous light? And, and what big idea really is this. God chose you to create kingdom glimpses for the world to see. God called you out of darkness into light so that you could be a living demonstration of heaven in front of the people around you. 
See, in, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes section, Jesus gives us this picture. He paints this picture of what heaven is like, what life for the children of God is like. And, that, and now he says in this paragraph, he says, now I want you to go out and I want you to be a living demonstration of that life that I've just described in the first 12 verses. I want you to create those kingdom glimpses. I've given you a glimpse of heaven. I want you to go out and be a glimpse of heaven in front of the world around you. That is the reason, that is the purpose. See, in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, Jesus is making a statement of identity and purpose. When he says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? When, what he's talking about there, I, there are different ways that people teach this passage. Um, one really popular way is uh, as a morality statement. Christians are supposed to be different from the world. That means we shouldn't cheat on our taxes. We shouldn't cheat on tests at school. We shouldn't tell lies. We shouldn't do all these things. And so really what you need to do is go out and try really hard to be salt. And, and if we try really hard to be salt, then the world will see. That's not really what Jesus was saying. Now, living a, a moral upstanding life is important, and Jesus gets into that in, in later parts of the Sermon on the Mount. But that's not really what he was doing here he was making a statement of identity and purpose. Another thing that, that gets commentators and scholars kind of all tied up in knots is Jesus says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And it's, it's really kind of funny when you, you read, I read a whole bunch of commentaries on this, and they're all, they're all just worked up. How can salt lose its taste the chemical composition of salt is sodium and chloride. Sodium chloride. And, and you can't make sodium chloride not salty. That's what it means to be salt. It can't lose its taste. What is Jesus saying? This doesn't make any sense. What he must be saying is the values of the world will, will come in and change the chemical composition of our souls and then we won't be salty anymore. And, it, you know, that sounds really good. But here's the thing. None of Jesus' disciples had learned the periodic table of elements. I mean, they just they wouldn't have invented yet, right? So that can't really be what Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. They didn't know that salt was sodium and chloride. They didn't know that. What, what was he saying? Or, or they'll say, um, look, if, if you're salt and then you lose its taste and then it, it can't be made salty again, what does that mean? Maybe that means a Christian has lost their salvation and can no longer be saved. Then you can no longer be brought back to repentance. So here, right here it is. We can all lose our salvation, so we better go try really hard to be really good people so we won't lose our salvation. And that's not what Jesus was teaching here either. What Jesus was doing is he was using a, a somewhat silly example, an illustration. One of the reasons why it's really hard for us to, uh, to grasp what Jesus was saying in this passage is because we forget that Jesus had a sense of humor. Right? This is one reason why I, I really like the way the Chosen series portrays Jesus. They, they recapture that sense of humor. He'll make a joke and then he'll wink at somebody. And the, the, it's just so good. Jesus was, had a sense of humor. He was making a joke. He was saying something like this. Imagine salt that forgot it was salty. Oh, salt doesn't have a brain. How can it forget? Jesus isn't making it. No, no, no. Just go with it. Jesus is making a little joke. Salt forgot it was salty and wanted to be sugar. 
So the salt uh, comes over and substitutes itself for the sugar in your cookie recipe. How good would those cookies be? Right? And he says in verse 14, the same way, you're the light of the world. Nobody lights up a beautiful lamp and then puts it inside a box where nobody can see its light. Well, that's silly. Nobody does that. Who would do that? Okay, imagine salt that's, that forgot it was salty. Oh, that's silly. Ha ha, that's a joke. That's absurd. Imagine a lamp that's shining brightly under a basket where nobody can see it. Oh, ha ha, that's ridiculous. How could anybody do that? Imagine a Christian who's not like Christ. Well, that's silly. That's a joke. The word Christian literally means like Christ. That's what it means, like Christ. Somebody says, oh, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church 1.7 times a month. I sign the doctrinal statement. You know, I'm a member or whatever. I cast my vote. Uh, is, is your life like Jesus? Well, no. Well, it's, a, it's kind of a joke, right? That's, that's what he's saying. Salt and light have a purpose. So do the children of God. We have a purpose. What is that purpose? Well, Jesus did not quote Psalm 34 in the Sermon on the Mount. But I have a, a feeling that Psalm 34 was in the back of his mind as he was teaching us about being salt and light. He says, or Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And then in verse 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You are the salt and the light. Taste and see salt and light. See, what Jesus is teaching here is your purpose is to bring out the flavor of God's goodness and shine forth the beauty of God's love in front of a watching world. This is why he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is why he saved you. This is why you are here. Jesus has chosen you to bring out the flavor of God's goodness and to shine forth the beauty of God's love in front of a watching world. When people come into contact with you, they should taste and see that God is good. They should taste and see what the love of Christ looks like and tastes like and feels like. They should taste it and see it in your life. You're the salt, you're the light. Your job, your purpose, the reason God chose to save you is to create kingdom glimpses for the world to see, to be the salt and light of the world. Now, if we don't fulfill our purpose as the salt and the light of the world, no one else will. Look back in Matthew chapter 5, verse, uh, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Not you are some salt or a, a beam of light, a ray of light. No, no. He said, you are the salt. You are the light. There is no other salt and light. That's it. Larry Osborne says, the church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. Right? We, the, the body of Christ, Christians scattered throughout the world, we are the salt and the light. And if we are not fulfilling our purpose, then there is no salt and there is no light in the world. Because we're it. 
Now, imagine a world without salt and light and how dull and bland it would be. Um, in September, Corinne and I were able to go to Colorado for, on a pastor's retreat uh, right at the end of September. And I'd never been to the Rocky Mountains before. And we had a little break one day and we decided to go hiking. And uh, we went hiking on this trail around a, a lake called Bear Lake. It was up in the mountains and the, the leaves were changing colors and that you could see them reflected in the water. It was beautiful. A picture's worth a thousand words. So look at this picture I got of Bear Lake. except there's not enough light to see it. But what happens if we see it in the light? Wow. And I'm not a great, great photographer, but God is a great artist. <laughs> right? The light reveals the beauty that God has woven into his creation. We are the light that reveals the beauty of Christ's love in the world. That love that was demonstrated on the cross for you and for me and for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. They'll never see that unless we are the light that reveals the beauty of his love. Or think about uh, a world without salt. Our, uh, our flight crew will be handing out snacks. So uh, if it, we've got a little popcorn here. And they're going to come around and, and hand out some popcorn. So if you'd like some, raise your hand and a flight attendant will, uh, will pass it out to you. This popcorn is unsalted. No butter, no salt, just the plain popcorn. So I'm going to give them a minute to pass it out and then I'll explain what we're going to do with it. So reach in and try a couple of pieces of the unsalted popcorn. Kind of bland, right? Now, in your bag are two little salt packets. Pull those out, rip them open, dump the salt in, and then shake your bag up. And mix that salt in really good. Now try a couple pieces with the salt on it. The idea is that we bring out the flavor of God's goodness in the world, just like the salt brings out the flavor of the popcorn. You're, you're allowed to finish your popcorn while we finish the message. And if you don't want it, I'm sure there's a child next to you that does. God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light for a reason, for a purpose. To bring out the flavor of his goodness. To shine forth the beauty of his love in front of the eyes of a watching world for people to see. We bring the flavor and the beauty of God's love into creation. Now, how do we do that? That's where I want to close. Uh, how do we fulfill that purpose for which God called us into his family? We're called to share the love of Christ. We've experienced the love of Christ, and now we're supposed to share Jesus with others. How do we do that? Uh, and I just have a few quick principles for you. First of all, be first, preach later. Sharing Christ with others does not begin with preaching a sermon. It does not begin with grabbing a bullhorn and going to stand out on the street and saying, turn or burn, turn or burn. That's not where it begins. right? It doesn't begin with going out to eat and giving your server a fake $100 bill that's really a gospel tract instead of a tip. That's not where it begins. 
uh, it, it doesn't begin with greeting your new neighbors that just moved in across the street by, with a plate of cookies and saying, hi, my name's Andy. If you knew, if you were going to die tonight, do you know where you would go? That's not a great lead in, right? Now, yes, we want to get to the point where we actually tell them with words about the love of Christ. Absolutely we do, but that's not where we start. We start with being the salt and light in our neighborhood. We start with being the love of Christ. We start with being the one that brings beauty and flavor to our workplace or the, the classroom at school or the neighborhood or the home, right? I just uh, talked with a couple of missionaries yesterday, and they've done some quite a bit of work uh, with Muslims. And they said, um, in the Muslim communities, they will not listen to you talk about Jesus if you're a stranger. They will not listen to you until you have earned their trust and respect. You have to develop a relationship with them first. And I thought, gee, that sounds an awful lot like my neighborhood. We have to earn the right to tell somebody about the love of Christ. We have to show them that love first. We have to build that relationship first. So be salt and light first. Preach salt and light later. Be first, preach later. Another way to, to fulfill this purpose is to start small. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, love your neighbor as yourself. Now this week, in keeping with our Bible memory verse, I had an epiphany. What if love your neighbor means love your neighbor? I was going to put one of those mind-blown emojis up on the screen, but I couldn't find one that was big enough to fit our screen, right? What if when Jesus said, love your neighbor, he actually meant love your neighbor? Wow, Jesus actually meant what he said? Man, what, a, what an amazing concept, right? Um, now, we've all heard the story. We've all read the passage. Jesus, Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then the, the lawyer who wasn't doing that but wanted to justify himself said, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story. And the lesson is everybody is your neighbor. The whole world is your neighbor. And we look at that and we say, oh my goodness, how in the world can I love everybody like I love myself? I can't do that. It's overwhelming. It's too big. Anybody ever see the movie um, The Incredibles? You remember that movie? It's a kid's movie. Uh, it's a cartoon about a superhero family. And there's a mom and a dad and, and two older kids and a baby. And they all have superpowers. Um, and the, the son, his name is Dash, he has super speed. And he always wants to use his speed to win the track meets and stuff at school because he has super speed. And his parents say, no, that's not fair. And he said, yeah, but I'm special. I have a superpower. And his parents say, no, no, everybody's special. Even people without powers, they're still special. And what does Dash say? If everybody's special, no one is. Right? And sometimes we use the same logic. If everybody's my neighbor, no one is. I can't love everybody so I can't love anybody. I can't love everybody like Christ, so I can't love anybody like Christ. If everybody's my neighbor, no one is. But, but what if when Jesus said, love your neighbor, he actually meant your real neighbors? What if that's a place to start? How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? How do you hike the entire Appalachian Trail one step at a time, right? What if Jesus actually meant to love your neighbors, to start there? 
to start with the people who live across the street from you or the people who work in the next cubicle over or the classmates that you sit with at the lunchroom table or, or wherever it might be. What if those are the people that Jesus is saying, I want you to love them first. I want you to start small. We'd love to impact the entire world for Christ, but let's start small and impact the people that God's put in our little world first. Okay, how do we fulfill our purpose? Be first, preach later, start small, and number three, take the next step. Don't worry about step 10 if you haven't taken step one. Right, just take the next step. Sometimes we, we don't share Jesus with others or try to build relationships with our neighbors because we say, well, uh, what if I'm telling them about my faith and they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Why were you born into a Christian family and somebody else wasn't? Well, that's a hard question. What if I don't know the answer? How could a good God allow pain and suffering in the world? Oh, gee, how do I answer that question, right? And so instead of focusing on step one, we get distracted by step 10. Listen, God will give you the, the, what you need to take step 10 when you get to step nine. Don't worry about step nine and 10. Worry about step one. What is the next step? Take that step first and then let God worry about where it goes. And here's a great next step. Here's a great next step. What if our next step is to be the first Christian your neighbors actually like? The next step isn't to, to, to memorize the sinner's prayer so that you can lead them in the sinner's prayer five years from now. The next step isn't to, to learn how to draw the bridge diagram on a napkin with any writing utensil so that it's really clear and you can explain it. No, the next step, what if the next step is simply to be the first Christian your neighbors actually like? That's a whole different concept, isn't it? Remember a, a few weeks ago I shared uh, a research study that's, that had been recently done by George Barna, and it was a pretty shocking study. In that study, he, sh he said, uh, the, the survey shows 94% of Americans do not have a functioning Christian faith. 94%. Only 6% of Americans have a functioning Christian faith. And in the age group of 18 to 30, it's only 2%. 98% of 20-somethings do not have a functioning Christian faith. And 94% of the broader society don't, don't. So if those statistics are true, it might be very well likely that you are one of the only true Christians that your neighbors and your coworkers and your family members actually even know. 94% don't have a functioning Christian faith. So you might be one of the only real Christians that they actually know. Most of what their understanding of Christianity is, is from the media. Or from people who say they're Christians, but they're not like Christ in any way at all. Like salt that's trying to be sugar, right? They, so you have this, we have this brilliant and beautiful opportunity to show our family members and our neighbors and our coworkers what real Christians are actually like because they don't know. They don't know. We can show them all that stuff that is said about us in the news. It's not true. We're different. We can be the salt and the light. We can be the first Christian our neighbors actually like. That's a great next step. The last one is this. Work together. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is not an individualistic sermon. 
Jesus is giving us a group identity. This is who we are as the people of God. And even when he said, you are the salt and you are the light, the you in those verses is plural. Y'all are the salt. Y'all are the light, right? You do not have to, to bear the full burden of being the salt and the light by yourself, nor should you. Work together. Take advantage of the body of Christ. Here's one simple way that that looks like. Uh, have a couple of friends from your church family over and invite a couple of your neighbors over and say, hey, look, we're going to have brats, cook out brats in the backyard. I mean, it's like sort of the end of winter in Wisconsin. I mean, not really, but kind of. And we're getting into uh, brat season. And so have a, have a couple of friends from church over, have a couple of neighbors over. We're going to cook out brats in the backyard. We're going to play cards. And just let the Holy Spirit start to work. And let your neighbors see how Christians interact with one another. You don't even have to tell them, hey, we're, we're bringing you over so you can see Christians on display. <laughs> just be Christians on display. They'll figure it out. You, you'll have opportunities to tell them later. Be first, preach later, right? Work together. Take advantage of the body of Christ. You don't have to do it by yourself. Let me wrap everything up with this. God chose you to bring out the flavor of his goodness and shine forth the beauty of his love in front of a watching world. That is why he chose you. And Christ is offering to you today a life full of meaning and purpose. What more purposeful life could there be than to be a reflection of God to the world around you? Whether, whether you're teaching kids in a school, whether you're changing diapers, whether you're wrenching a car uh, engine, whether you are cooking a meal, whether you are putting together um, a, a report, whether you're writing programming code, wh whatever it is, in all of those contexts, in every cir circumstance, you can be the salt and the light, the flavor and the beauty of God in that environment and in that context. And there is no greater purpose in life than to be a reflection of God to the world around you. And Jesus is offering you this life full of meaning and purpose. And, and my question for you is, where are you at? Are you somebody that shows up to church 1.7 times a month and checks off their box and believes in God and prays when things are hard? Or have you engaged with that purposeful, meaningful life that Christ is offering to you? Because that's where purpose and meaning and fulfillment is found. It is in being the salt and the light of the earth. On your way out, this morning we have little salt packets uh, in the bowls. And I would encourage you, uh, as you, as you leave this today, just grab a salt packet. Put it somewhere that you're going to see it. Tape it up on the bathroom mirror. Or put it in the uh, dashboard of your car, like where, you, where you'll see it. Don't tape it over the speedometer. Um, that won't get you out of a ticket. But somewhere, right? And every time you see this little packet of salt, remember, I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. And pray. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for whoever it is that you're starting out with. And, and that's just a good, a good little reminder. Let me pray for you, and then we will dismiss this morning. Father, I thank you for sending your son into the world so that you could call us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Lord Jesus, you traded places with us. 
We should have been the ones hanging on that cross because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our sin separated you from us. But you couldn't bear to be separate from us. So you sent your son to give his life on the cross and you tore open the veil and you stepped through it into the darkness and the blandness and you brought light and flavor and beauty and love. And now you've called us to do the same thing. And so Lord, I just pray, if there are people here today who have, have not been engaged in that purposeful, meaning-filled life that you have called them to, I pray that you would speak to them, that you would call them, that we would be the salt and the light that fulfills the purpose for which you've called us. And Lord, uh, as we close this morning, we're just gonna take a moment to listen and we ask that you would bring the face of somebody to our mind. Could be a neighbor or, or a coworker or a classmate or a family member who doesn't know you. Lord, would you just bring their face to our mind right now? Lord, we give that person to you. We know that you love them and you gave your life for them. So Lord, we ask that you would give us an opportunity to show them your love. And at some point, an opportunity to tell them. But right now, Lord, we just are asking for an opportunity to build a relationship, to make a connection, to be a Christian that they actually like. And I pray that you would give us those opportunities, that you would soften their heart to be receptive to the gospel. It's not our job to convert them. We can't do that anyway. That's your job. So Lord, we're asking that you would help us to love them well. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll close with Psalm 34. 34.8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. May God bless you as you take refuge in him, and may your life bring out his flavor and shine forth his love. In Jesus' name, go in peace.